Welcome back to ASD, A New Perspective, the podcast show where we help you understand what is going on in the mind of your child. And we do encourage you that growth for your child is possible. In part two of Why Dynamic Intelligence, Dr. Gutstein talks about the loss of the mind-guiding relationship between the parent and the child and the key that relationship is to dynamic intelligence. Let's listen in. And of course, the unfortunate thing for people with autism is that they, through no fault of their own, right, they and their parents are not able to form what I call a mind-dotting relationship, which is the format by which typically developing children learn to manage their experience. It's the only way that they learn. Right now, later, now one of the things that's important is that one of the products of the mind guiding relationship is the ability for children um, to start learning to have new experiences, to learning to learn from their environment, away from being with their guides on their own, to think about things when they're not with their guides, to explore things and experiment with things on their own, to wonder, try to make sense of things. And so gradually to become more independent or more, I shouldn't say independent, or autonomous in taking over more responsibility for developing their dynamic intelligence, right? If that doesn't happen, if growth is only limited to engagements with your guides, then you can't, you're not gonna develop very much. Initially, that's the case. And as we know, with young children, initially that's the case. But, but you know, even, even as they become preschool age, three and four years old, you start to see that they can come back to you having thought about something or experienced something that they want to help with or want to understand that you weren't there for, that they're starting to take this away from you, which then multiplies the power, the effectiveness of the mind-guiding relationship exponentially, doesn't it? Because it means that eventually they can do this all their waking lives if they wish to, right? And that your role then becomes more supportive, right? You're not the primary purveyor of experience, but you help more to interpret it to help them with things that don't make sense, to pose challenges at times, but they begin to challenge themselves, right? One of the real important things about the mind-guiding relationship, why it's so efficient, is because we don't expect, we expect the child, child to become a, more of a self-organizing learner, right? To take over more of that self-growth away from you and, and with other guides and on their own in relationship with peers and to be reflecting and to be considering and thinking and looking for meaning and trying to make sense even when you're not around, right? More and more so. And that's one of the really critical aspects of a mind-guiding relationship is its orientation towards developing the autonomy of the child as a self-guided learner, right? And to continually adapt the role of the guide based on that. Without that, it's just not possible, right? It's, it's just not powerful enough. Anyway, um, <laughs> I know I'm trying to move between everything <laughs> Here. <laughs> Kat, you want to say something? <laughs> yeah, I do because I'm so glad you brought up, you know, four-year-olds because I was thinking about how it feels like, I'll say feels like, you know, that, that people glaze over and say, well, you're talking about later in life. And no. As soon as infants are able to even sit up on their own, which gives you an enormous sense of empowerment, right? And then actually do something in the world, reach for something, grab something, complete an action that leaches a goal, right? You start to see this transformation, okay? And um, the desire, right, to want to operate in a more dynamic, complex, dynamic world, 
right? And that becomes you know, gradually more and more the dominant intrinsic motivation, you see that activation. It's never all or none, it, you know, but it becomes more noticeable. And then of course, in the second year, it becomes even more noticeable because you start to see uh, more active communication towards you around understanding new things in the world. So that whole lot pointing, enjoying attention about what's that, and hey, do you see that? And noticing something new, wanting to get your impression of it. And then of course, the input of language to want to share experiences. It becomes much more noticeable in the second year that your role of guiding, right, is very clear because they're, <laughs> they're out there exploring and wanting to know and wanting to think, and occasionally of elaborating, occasionally of inserting something new becomes more and more what you're being asked to do by that child, your, your primary role. It's no longer than keeping their body from falling over, right? right. And, you know, yes, you might still have to keep them safe, but that's not what they necessarily see you as your primary role of keeping them from getting into trouble. Um, but, you know, your primary role shifts to, to guiding and then to mind guiding, not just their bodies, but, but really their mind. When you pre present novelty and you present new objects or you turn something upside down or you show them a new thing, you're already guiding the mind in a dynamic environment. So dynamic intelligence, it, it, the foundations start early, early on, the motivation that the intrinsic motivation for growth seeking, which is essential for dynamic intelligence, has to be established early. And what do we see in autism? We see that that doesn't happen, or if it starts to happen, it gets interrupted very early, or it gets uh, co-opted by the need to maintain stability, the need to maintain homeostasis, right? Uh, why that is, I think, differs dramatically from child to child, from infant to infant, who's gonna have autism. I don't think there is a single, or ever going to be a single reason for that. It doesn't really matter. The point is, is that there's a disruption and that gradual emphasis of growth seeking, of that motivation for growth, challenge, novelty, mastery, doesn't, doesn't develop, right? Which means you can't be a guide because you have nothing to guide. And it means then the opportunities to learn how to manage your experience in the world, shared, personal, internal, aren't there the opportunities aren't there right and so our that's the story i mean right everybody that's the story that we want to tell people it's an obvious story I, I, anybody i've ever told it to you know who isn't already biased in some way it makes sense to them immediately it's not because it's, it's if you, especially if you've had children it makes sense immediately because it's what we do and it's one of the critical roles of being a parent is to be a mind guide right we know that if you have a child with autism, you're, you can't do it um, unless until we help you to develop this uh, and to, to help the child activate that growth so you can feel comfortable with it, to start orienting more towards growth and, and desiring that part of their development, their, their development, and to perceive you as someone whose primary job is to help them to, um, to grow, to to experience new things and learn how to manage those new experiences, right? And to continue to get involved in more complex dynamic experiences and more unpredictable experiences and more, you know, interrelated experiences and to learn how to be competent in those and to continue to develop that on a micro level, whether it's certain moments and certain things that happen on a situational level, so sort the of middle level, on a larger level, which is basically relationships and identity, who am I? Should I trust this person? What's 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 important in a relationship for me? That macro level, 
on any one of those levels, that's, you know, becomes your job, that becomes your role. So if you're a parent of a child with autism and you haven't been involved with RDI, you get deprived of that role and you probably don't realize it because it's implicit and no one ever talks about it. And you have to do what you start doing other things, whether that's getting resources for your child or I don't know what you're doing, directing them in certain things, but to try to feel competent because you've, you haven't been able to function as a mind guide. And no one's told you that you can. And so, you know, on one hand, you don't realize it because it's not explicit. On the other hand, no one talks to you about it. No one says that's the problem. And no one says you have the ability to do it. Yeah. Right? So that's the story. Thanks, Dr. Gutstein, and thank you for joining us for ASD, A New Perspective, the podcast show where we help you understand what is going on in the mind of your child, and we encourage you that growth for your child is possible. I'm Kat Lee. See you next time.